welcome to the XY Advisor podcast. To join a global community of financial advisors sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice, head to xyadvisor.com. This episode is proudly sponsored by Integrity Life. Just like XY Advisor, Integrity isn't afraid to push for positive change in our industry, especially when it comes to the cost of life insurance. Right now, many Australians are underinsured, but Integrity is working to change all that with sustainable pricing and discounts that last as long as the policy. Next time you need a quote, why not give Integrity a try? Head to integritylife.com.au forward slash XY. G'day, Clayton here from XY, getting to chat to, uh, from Iris, Andrew, thanks for coming in. Hey, Clayton, good to be here. Yeah, so um, so I discovered how wide-reaching uh, Iris, specifically X-Plan was when I did sort of 12 months at Advisor Ratings, and it, uh, they sort of do this annual uh, survey, and it came back with over 50% of the respondents were using X-Plan. Now, nothing in any other category got remotely close to that. And it dawned on me how prevalent that X-Plan is in the entire industry. And then I sort of thought, well, no one, as far as I could tell, has sat you down and asked, what's your story? How'd you get here? Because, I mean, Iris is like a multi-billion dollar multinational company now, right? But 20 years ago, um, it didn't start out that way. So, from my understanding, what I've been able to piece together was that you created X-Plan and then relatively quickly was acquired by Iris and then relatively quickly you were running Iris. Is that the story? That's the very high-level summary. Um, <laughs> But yeah, no, it does does feel like a long time ago, and it's funny funny sitting here in a crisis amidst COVID and post the last GFC, and back at that time it had just been through the the Y two K dilemma and the and the tech crash that happened back there, and it was quite a different story for uh, startups and technology businesses or, or new ideas, and we we thought we had a good idea. We we're looking looking to solve the problems of technology within dealer groups and at that time advisors were barely using email clients but certainly weren't using email software was distributed on disk or cd at the time and there, there was just a better way and we we had a vision for web delivered software and that's what we set about to do that's amazing and did before before xplan were you an advisor or how did you land in financial services so before before x plan i was working at a company called vision fps which was uh, later acquired by iwl and they were the makers of busy plan right and so so i worked there for a little while after after a good start to an actuarial career uh, and came across this small company and ended up running the development team and then we had different views of how how technology should be built and the problems to solve. And so we naively jumped out and 
created a startup. <laughs> so, 2002, something like that? Yeah, 2001. 2001. That's a long time ago. That's a real long time ago. That's In fact, uh, I graduated in 2001 and that seems like prehistoric age to me at this stage. <laughs> well, yeah, you're making me feel old. Uh, <laughs> but it, it was a long time ago and a lot's happened in in technology and in the world in that time and uh, some things come around again uh, and there was, there was a lot of lot of tech startup at that time mm. uh probably the first first birth of lots of tech and we're we're now living in this age of lots of startup and and fintech and uh the the main difference is that capital is a whole lot easier to come by <laughs> now than it was back then i could imagine and so uh x plan uh I, was it a bunch of x busy plan team that sort of started x plan it was there. Were, there was a small nucleus of two, then three, then four of us, and and we we grew that team based on what we what we needed needed to build or what we what the vision was that we saw. And there are there are lots of things that we've gone on to do that happened after vigorous debates. Uh, but but we grew that team with with different people and and others have come along for the for the ride. Um, and so we we enjoy good tenure. Uh, lots lots of loyal people hanging around to. Um, contribute to that that original goal and the evolving goals, uh, but there are a lot more people involved these days. Yes, I've uh, I've walked around your offices a couple of times. Um, so, what was Iris pre X Plan? Iris pre X Plan was a was a listed business, and it listed in two thousand. It provided market market information screens and trading oh, software and portfolio right. software, and it still does that today. Yes, and the the challenge at the time for Iris was it was already successful, mm. and so how could it continue to grow? And this was a a, a problem or a, or a constraint levelled on Iris for for a long time. The, the reality is quite different. That with the business then, the business today continues to uh, evolve its franchise, solve problems for clients, and and grow within within what is a what is that traditional market uh, within this small small island of Australia? And but but it it does the same thing. And and what what we saw was a convergence that was happening between these people could financial planners providing advice and portfolio advice and and retail stockbrokers who were wanting to evolve out of transactional revenue and offer portfolio services. And and we we saw these things converging and. And it's really, really only now that that's that's truly, truly visible in the marketplace. Oh yeah, um, Iris was was doing something. They looked to a, a way for their new growth strategy, essentially. And then you guys—that's because that's a quick turnaround, right? Like two years to get picked up by a listed company. That's a that's a rapid turnaround. Uh, so it's a little more sorted than that. So, <laughs> so there, there was a was a. A transaction that was that was underway between between Iris and IWL, and Iris had had this view of what the convergence would would look like, sought sought to grow into that adjacent market, and and that transaction fell over, and so the option sitting alongside that were these these guys that had had left that business to create create this this new thing, and 
we had stood out already because the team at IWL was was talking about what we were doing and had had made made all sorts of comments, uh, <laughs> and so so we were already on on the radar, right. and it was a it, it was a log- logical step, although. Our business was pre-revenue, had had good ideas, had some products, but was was very early on, and uh, we had a had a view of, view of how we'd tackle that problem. We could demonstrate how we were how we're approaching it, and that's that's what contributed to the combined strategy and transaction. Awesome. When you know, once once the purchase has occurred, and then uh, financial planning is obviously the focus. Um, but you mentioned it was pre-revenue, so was there many users pre-acquisition? Uh, there were a few users, and back then it was called financial planning software. Right, uh, it wasn't wasn't even called wealth management. Right. It was called financial planning, and that was that was the focus. We we had modeling tools. We were solving solving cash flow modeling, and we we wanted to solve some of the problems that that existed. Some of the data retention. Uh, aspects the centralized database we had a view of what crm should be or could be wow and at the time there was no crm it was you know what was in financial planning software at the time was fact find data it was called a fact find and it it had no where did it go client centricity right? where, where did that data go then oh the data was data was used for the plan oh, but, but it was but it didn't reside it, in like a central well it it did but it wasn't there, there was no client centricity it was all all, wow. a, all about uh just a placeholder record for a client and then it was all about the financial planning and and what we saw was that there was more to how businesses needed to operate around mm. collecting data monitoring portfolios and and scaling that out delivering that out on the web and how businesses would mine data and and use that to grow and and so we wanted wanted to have a crm system that was central to how things worked, and about the same time as Salesforce started, so we won't we won't worry about that comparison. <laughs> um, we fail, uh, and and we actually called that module client focus because because it needed to be at the centre of of the platform, and and then there were modelling tools, then there was portfolio systems, and so the first first thing we got onto was with Iris was was to build build a portfolio system and. And we had already plans for how to solve that. And Iris already had one of these things that was institutional in nature. It had lots of, lots of depth, lots of flexibility, but we needed to make it, make it relevant for how, how retail investors work. Hmm. Uh, we introduced concepts like managed funds and tax and tax components and tax calculations and return calculations uh, and made it, made it, a lot more retail, and now that system sits as a both a retail portfolio system and an institutional portfolio management system, um, all connected to the to the routing network that is Iris. So it's a lot lot of lot of capability that sits sits behind there because of that that right decision back then. Yeah, I'm I'm sitting here with a huge smile on my face uh, because it's so interesting to hear 20 years ago with the view of having a, a CRM, you know, and then modules off the side to, to, to uh, feed, or, uh, to, to, I guess, receive the data that's from the CRM. And, and uh, you guys were like, you know, pioneers of this, which is now the backbone of everything of a service-based business. We all know that that just works, but the fact that you guys were some of the first to ever sit down and think about how that could be done efficiently, efficiently is just like, it's, 
I mean, 20 years ago is a little bit of time ago, but it's not that long ago. And it's, it's, it's amazing that something now that's so prevalent was so cutting edge. And obviously, you were right. Like, that's the key thing, right? Well, we didn't know we were right. That's the, <laughs> that's, that's the, that's the challenge when you, when, when you look back that it looks, looks so obvious, but, but it wasn't, wasn't necessarily always that obvious. There, there are thing, things like within dealer groups where, where risk advice and investment advice were separate concepts and they were different people. They, they didn't talk to each other. But for the business that is the, the, the advice business, there's one client that needs a risk policy and also might, might funnily enough, have some investments. And mm. so the idea that you would coordinate around who the person was or who the household <laughs> was or who the client was uh, and share information was, was, was different at the time. And so what we've seen since then is, you know, convergence of risk, risk and investment advice and, and even in, into mortgages. Uh, oh, yeah. These things are important for delivering a service that is whole of household or whole of client and not just thinking about a slither. Uh, interestingly, to, to get back to concepts like efficiency in advice, mm. people want to deliver components or slices and, yeah. and that should be possible. But you, it's really hard to do and grow a business if you're only ever dealing in the slice. Yes. What's interesting is I know someone who's in the process of uh, setting up a mortgage brokering company uh, with, a, with a financial advice background and they have been researching the best interest duty requirements that are coming up for mortgage brokers. And so, this, this little team is um, using X-Plan to do their mortgages because of the anticipation of how closely I completely agree. those mortgage brokers will will be to the to the financial planning process. I mean whether it's a slightly different language or whether it's the exact same structure, but it's a very interesting concept is that they say actually the requirements on the financial on the mortgage brokers are going up to the point where I'm just going to get them on to explain before that's required. And so, the transition across whether they become full financial planners or whether there's just an easy working relationship with a financial planner is done. It's just such so interesting to see uh, the people thinking ahead and saying, actually, we're just going to get everyone onto XPLED so that the transition is It's easy. the right thing. And we, we thought that would happen in 2007 when credit licensing <laughs> came in or just after GFC when, when that occurred. And, and it, it hasn't, hasn't happened yet. I think the other... The other example of that is accounting and advice uh, or, or financial planning and, and, and accounting that data data is just not not shared within same businesses. And I think the crux of this is is not not so much the software functionality, but how think how people think about data as an asset and uh, how to how to exploit that for growth, whether that is mm. to better know a client, better service a client, uh, cross sell, grow. Uh, deliver deliver the experience, and and in in this this day, customers want digital experiences. Oh yeah. But if you're one brand that has a different system for mortgages and a different system for, for financial planning, it gets harder to deliver a unified digital experience. Goodness so, yes. so I think thinking strategically about data is is the most important thing for for businesses thinking about how they how they might operate. With clients online. 
Yes. Because um, data is now almost uh, synonymous with technology. It's, 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 almost, it's almost like you don't get asked if you use email anymore, right? It's, do you have email? Well, of course I have email because, you know, I... I <laughs> My 14-year-old says he doesn't even read his email, so don't send him anything. <laughs> uh, so that's a sign of the times. Oh, God, he's on Slack. That's all right. I'll, I'll pay it. But, but essentially, like, the concept of not being on top of data is almost an old world concept now. It's just nuts mm. um, because you, you need it to – like we're, we're a software business, but, but without data, there is no software. Totally. And so without data, there is no business in most places. Yes. Uh, and so thinking about how you collect data, how you house data and how you optimize data need, need to be pretty central. It's not, not just technology. It's actually technology and data, as mm. you say. The – the other side of that is data risk. And so data protection is, is really important, both, both to protect other people's data and, and the value of the data to your own business. But here and in other places, there, there is significant exposure if you get that wrong. Uh, and oh, we've yeah. seen lots of cases of that. But I think the, the more positive focus is on how to leverage that data and, and how do you assemble it to deliver a business strategy? Because data, data itself isn't a strategy. What's the business strategy? what data am I going to use to deliver that? What's the technology I, I will employ to get there? And it's also not a, not a one, one-time wonder. This is something mm. that needs to be pretty constant. Yes. Um, in XY, we've taken years to um, – we've actually got a project on at the moment. It's been running for about three months. I imagine it'll run for another 12 before we start to get there. Um, because we sort of sat down and identified 56 data points that we need to be on top of and how they each relate to each other in what part of what process. And then only at that point will we know what we, what levers to sort of to play around with. And so we, that we can effectively test, uh, what we're doing, uh, you know, across the company. That is, such a huge undertaking and, and we're in the early days of being a tech company and, and that's that's daunting even for myself to hear. If if I put my advisor hat on, I go, that seems insurmountable. Like like it and and in a in some ways it is and in other ways it's not. Um before we even get to the quality of the input of the data, um, or even how that data is sourced. I kind of want to jump ahead because this is the one that I'm really interested in, which is you mentioned before how you optimize that data. What does that mean and what's an example of that? So having having enough data just to produce an advice, you know, deliver advice to a client is actually not not the advice. Uh, or sorry, it's not the business of data. That that is that is the end product. But the, but the the data that goes into that and should sit behind that is actually much more extensive. The ability to know what's in that data set, to ask the questions that are beyond what the client is asking is, is really the optimization. And, and if you don't have it, don't know what you want to do with it, then you won't be able to allow a machine to tell you about it without asking the questions. Yes. And so optimizing it, I mean deriving, deriving value from it to grow the business. And if you're not capturing the richness of data from client conversations or 
from client input that, that they might have done online, then you're missing out on the ability for a machine in time to yep. tune the quality of that data perhaps or find, find missing data, but, but certainly look for correlations between different data points and sets like you've done in XY. Yes. So this, and, and I definitely want to come back to the inputs and the quality of the data, um, but just while we're talking about this, this, what we're talking about here is how do you use technology to get uh, responses from clients that deliver aha moments? Oh, it's, it's, we're not just asking your first, middle and last name, date of birth and tax file number here. We're trying to figure out what it is that you want out of life. And then we kind of want to use short-term cash flow, middle-term, you know, or short-term investing and then long-term superannuation so th there's these three stages of life that we need to use your money to help live your ideal lifestyle now and, and, and in the future. And that sentence is difficult to say, but it's even more difficult to, to get quality data from your clients or potential clients. And then how does technology help assist that, which is a problem that so many people are trying to solve right now. Is this something that X Plan's working on? Like, because you guys have traditionally done the what, what's the, the best way to put it is no one gets fired for using X Plan, right? Like that is it, you're guaranteed for it to work, and it and it has all the data points in there, and all it does all the the I wouldn't even say the basics. I'd say it does the advice well. Now there's this whole other aspect of data capture, and every the amount of pitches that I've even myself right have seen of companies who want to solve that problem is off the charge everyone's everyone's after this right now the the thing that we find and we're, we're doing this because we're, we're helping licensees of all shapes and sizes approach approach oversight in a different way or compliance in, said differently is that the only way that that is going to be sufficiently robust so people can sleep better is that it's data-driven. Mm. The thing that we stumble into is that data quality is really, really poor and inconsistent. And so the number of times during during the Royal Commission that people spoke about mm. digitizing documents or scan, you know, scanning and, and storing, uh, there's just insufficient data to do that job well enough. And so lots of, lots of clients that we're working with are... are heavily focused in making sure that they've got the right data because you can see see things differently. Computers can see things actually a lot better than we can because they can join dots that we wouldn't necessarily mm. join. And we, we are now, in in some examples, not, not even building the software to, to join some of those dots. We're able to leverage and scale into cloud infrastructure to do a whole lot more of that at power. So, so if you keep fast forwarding from compliance, you know, you think about the data, you yeah. need to do a good job on oversight. Yes. You, you then start to think about what, how do you, how might you offer a service to a client that you know about at 8.30 at night while they're in front of the TV? Because that's what, mm. that's what we're all doing when we're watching. That's right. That's right. Whatever it is on TV. You can only do that if you've got data. So if, if you're, a, you're a, a, an advice business that, isn't sitting with the infrastructure and scale of, of these these massive institutions that 
will stand up call centers that will sit there and answer someone's phone if they want. You need data to drive that and you need an online presence and you need to be found online and you need to be able to have an engaging experience with that customer to solve their problem. And that will firstly start with what do you want to do in life? Yeah. Not what's your salary, where do you work? Yeah. But what do you actually want to achieve? Yes. And that is where a lot of systematization and focus is going to help automate that process so that you can solve for how someone saves for retirement or realizes that they don't need to live on dog food and that they could spend more money or they could retire earlier or and you look at the look at the research that's done most people spend much less than they thought they would when they're when they're in retirement yes. so enabling someone to see that earlier yeah is surely the joy in providing someone financial planning advice absolutely so but but that won't happen unless data exists to service that kind of client and we're strong believers in hybrid advice uh, because increasingly people will serve themselves online. Yes. But my bet is that people won't fully transact online because they'll still want to see eyeballs. They'll still oh, want to yeah. know where the money's going <clears throat> and they need the surety of knowing what they've done online is right. And so that yes. needs, needs some interaction. We've seen in the UK that while there's been huge efficiency over COVID, with people borrowing money from lenders, that process has become really efficient. But the human interactions have increased because everyone's flocked online. They've asked asked what they can borrow, where they can live, what they can do, but but they're not fully confident they want to talk to someone. And so the human interactions have gone up. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, going to the the data inputs because and and reflecting on the uh, the Royal Commission and the uh, the result of poor quality data. You ultimately have what are the data inputs? And so, there's a couple of ways that advisors come across client data. Sometimes they'll buy a business, in which case they've got to digest a bunch of data that they've purchased. Sometimes, you know, it'll be a list of old clients that the data was never properly captured in the first place. Um, sometimes, as you mentioned, converting those paper-esque issues into digital um, and then the other way is for each and every person who comes in you've got a really good process of automatically capturing everything um, which is a, a tough standard to get to and uh, and I know as well as anyone um, that quality data depending on its source will either be poor or difficult to do well in your experience what are some of the best ways or the most common ways that an advisor can ensure that the data inputs or the results of the data are as good as possible? Like, is there an 80-20 rule? Like, is there something if you improve by 20% that the quality of the data goes up 80%? Is there, is there any sort of, you know, tomorrow they can turn around and start doing this one or two simple things that'll help a lot? Oh, I think the first... The, the, the first first thing is is to make sure that you've got a smaller set of data that's accurate. It's better than having a, a large large surface area of data that's sparse and inaccurate or incomplete is probably the better better picture to, to have. And I don't think that having large data requests to clients is the is the way to go because if you put yourself in their shoes, that's the last thing that they they really want. Totally. Um, so I think the the ability to 
take from conversation and, and get that into into data form is is the best way to go. Like conversation we're having now, I think in time that a lot of that data will be verbalized and put into systems for humans. Wow. Um, that's certainly the kind of is that something that you guys are working on at the moment. Uh, we, we're we're definitely working on on things like that to turn wow. turn turn content into searchable searchable and verbal search. So whoa, I think that the the ability or the opportunity that comes from large compute and uh, machine learning tools is a is a dream. But that dream is only going to come true if we've, if we've got data, and <laughs> and so that. That, that really needs to be central. Yeah, right. Now, because I spend a lot of time online um, and I like to do a little bit of research before uh, we kick off any interviews, um, I was noticing that in South Africa, there seems to be a pretty big uh, iris um, exposure. So, did you lead that strategy? When did that happen? Or is that, was that pre-X plan or what? what's going on? Uh, so, yeah, so we, we bought... We, we had I spoke about insurance advisors and investment advisors being being separate and we had lots of clients push, pushing us encouraging us to solve solve this gap yeah um, they wanted to centralize the way they process remuneration across advisors regardless of the type of advice they, they give they want to centralize clients client records etc compliance is another another matter and and so we we thought about what we would do and how we would solve that. We built built some tools to do risk research, as, as it's known. Yes. And that led us to join with a business called Plantech uh, in, that was Melbourne-based and had a, had a risk research business. And, and we, we saw great opportunity with, with the shareholders of that business to combine what we do to, to try and forge this, this view of how advice and how wealth management will evolve. And that's not in these silos mm-hmm. with, with risk being quite separate to, to investment advice. Uh, that business had a very small presence in South Africa. They had one, one client in South Africa. And so we, we weren't interested in, in not, not being relevant. We either weren't going to be there or we're going to be there. And we decided to be there. And we've acquired quite a few businesses in South Africa now since then. We have about 300 people that deliver trading software, market information software, and advice software. And it's been a, been a really successful venture for us. South Africa is not not what you might otherwise expect. It's, it's very sophisticated. Oh, yeah. Uh, there, there are more actuaries per capita in South Africa than probably anywhere else. <laughs> uh, insurance is quite dynamic and innovative, uh, and, and wealth is also. And the, the kinds of problems that are dealt with by product providers in, in that market span you know third world all, all the way to first world and so yeah. uh, it's been a great great source of delivering products to south africa to see see how they're taken up and and the, the team there is quite keen for that um but it's grown and the market the listed market is is about a third the size of australia but that makes is, sense it is uh no, no less sophisticated or challenging than we see anywhere else yeah i I've, I've met with well you know digitally i'd say over the last few months a handful of south africans and they seem as good if not better than you know anything else that i've seen around like these these advisors seem really switched on um and it seems like that there's a real collegiate desire to succeed as well which i find you know impressive 
Um, yeah, big fan of what's going on over there. Is is UK? Is US? Like, ha- how far does the global expansion go? Yeah, so we have a, a big business in in the UK as well. Uh, in in advice, in risk research or risk risk sourcing, uh, in trading, market data, and and private wealth management. Or there, there we see a strong convergence between the retail broker, stockbroker, and advice. Right. That there are a lot of vertically integrated businesses there, and we we service service a whole whole bunch of those. Uh, there are about we have about seven hundred people in the UK at the moment. We also have a business in Paris, in France, really delivering international low latency market data. So there's there's quite a quite a spread of, of of things that combine to deliver our offering in all places. And the US? Uh, we, we have a, have a presence in, in Canada. Right. Uh, a small presence in the US uh, where, where we deliver low latency market data. Interesting. Is the goal to become the, the monolith of financial advisors around the world? No, because each market's different. And well, that's what I was going to ask. Like, how are you able to capture say south africa considering the regulatory differences would be massive so how much work does go does each each regulatory environment require so x plan is is the same everywhere mostly the same uh, there, there are clearly some differences because of regulatory difference yeah we thought about that from early on and and how we would architect a system that would would deploy online but also with flexible flexible rules and and context right so that that's really important because it, it it means that we can we can make changes and deploy software with scale and scale matters cool the so the re- reason that we're, we're we're simply not choosing to be everywhere uniformly is because the distribution models or the way that advice happens the, the topology of advice is really different in different markets yes. and that matters for how people use software and want to use software but also regulation and if if there is a there there are some markets that are not highly regulated and don't have retirement savings yep if you don't have retirement savings don't have regulation around it you you don't need software yeah you you can you might do it in excel you could do it on an envelope right Uh, and and so our our goal is to undo the inefficiency that's brought about by regulation and and other other hurdles so We've we've been quite quite selective. We we're also not interested in being somewhere that is underscaled because mm. if you don't don't have scale, you can't afford to keep reinvesting in technology. And so, choosing a vendor is important. Uh, our perspective on it is that you need to have enough scale to keep investing. Otherwise, you will will go stale, and and your technology will will age very quickly. You, you would be in a very unique position to be able to ask this question. What are the similarities and differences between the different regulatory environments in, the, in these countries? And if you could, I'm not sure if you're able to, but if you could give a bit of a judgment call on where each country is, do you think it's overly burdened or do you think it's maybe a little bit too free market? I'd actually like your opinion on where you see these like markets across the world. There was a change in the UK recently where compulsory annuitisation at retirement was undone. And so for the first time in, in a very long time, maybe forever, retirees could cash out their pension. Right. And 
that that clearly doesn't doesn't happen in in Australia where you're able to to cash out from superannuation for for a long time. But but that that has really propelled the need for advice at retirement. Whereas the advice at retirement in the past was, well, I have to choose, a, I have to get an annuity. Hmm. Where where do I get it? And so there was clearly clearly sales that happened around around that. But it's right. it's turned into now. What do I what do I need to do with my cash? Do I huh. buy buy a car or go on a holiday or or fund my retirement? Uh, and cash flow based advice has has really started to take off in the UK. There are differences between Australia and the UK coming from what happened in FOFA and what happened in RDR. Yes, and the change for RDR in the UK was that grandfathered remuneration models were abolished. We're only now dealing with that transition. Yes. And my view is that, that advisors in, in the UK are better off for that uh, because they've, they've had a, a much clearer focus on, on what bottom line means and efficiency. So yeah, they pulled the Band-Aid off, whereas they, we've kind of patched it back up half and then ripped half of it off and it's been yeah. awkward. So, so that's, that's one, one difference that I'd describe, but there, there are you know, many, many, many <laughs> I, I could imagine that um, it's an infinite. Yeah. And, and business models are quite, quite different. We're, we're going through a, through a phase here where advice, the advice industry is being dislocated and two independent licensees and, and two individual you know, small, smaller practices and, and then at the same time, some of some are getting verticalized. Uh, wow! In, yeah. in, the, in the UK, there has has been has been a, a real corporatization and verticalization in the mid market and, and at the top end. So, the, the shape, as you, as you can see, the shape of these markets is actually quite important for for the way that advice is accessed and delivered. Yeah. And and costed. The probably the biggest difference that exists between them is is the way that wholesale investment platforms or wholesale executing custodians operate. Really, compared to what what how advisors access retail investment platforms or transact on on advice, impl- implement advice, and also report on that. Um, the, the the scale in the UK is obviously significantly larger than Australia, and so. Uh, there, there are businesses there that operate very wholesale arrangements and and provide access points for integration that mean for a wealth manager you can have an end-to-end proposition that's very efficient and both for face-to-face and online. And so a client can open an account online in our software and that transfer cash in near real time and place investments at any time of the day. So the, the ability to... To see see what what is possible, it's not not rocket science, but uh, that that is definitely one of the biggest differences that uh, I, I would draw on between the UK and Australia, because the the, the opportunity for a, for an advice business to take the data that they've beautifully beautifully manicured and deliver an online presence to a client, and then that for, for that to be end to end functional doesn't exist here mm. largely. It exists within within very specific vertical silos, but but it is not not across the market. This is a question uh, specifically about Iris because I, I was sitting in your um, waiting area one time and the video came up and it showed all the different industries that Iris is involved in. At what stage, or I should say, what portion of financial services makes up Iris's you know, entire focus or, or are you guys really spreading out beyond just financial services 
No, we're 100% financial services. Right. We, 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 we think deep domain knowledge and, and deep roots matters. Right. And that, that's where expertise comes. And, and we, we, are, we, we definitely have a, have a very broad technology capability. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there was like rockets or something on one of the maybe, screens. Maybe, maybe they're just pictures. <laughs> <laughs> but def- definitely wide experience in technology, but we apply that deeply within financial services and so that that will that goes to how we how we connect a fund manager to a stockbroker to the asx yep. how we help borrowers originate loans and so some of the some of the startups and high street banks in the uk use our software to to do exactly that and also how we how we enable super funds in australia to efficiently operate their their funds service members and and deliver advice Awesome. Adrian, thanks so much for coming on. I, I, I realize, uh, you know, you're a busy man. Um, so I really appreciate you coming here to, to chat. Um, is, there, is there something that you would like to maybe share with advisors just in terms of uh, where we are, where we're headed, where, what, you know, what's next for X Plan and Iris? And, and uh, what can, I, I, I like to sort of leave on a positive note because um, you know, there's been so much change in the industry. It's always nice to hear, okay, actually, there's a lot of investment going into the future of this industry, right? That, that's kind of a key message that I like to sort of hear about. So what do you foresee as the next handful of years um, in terms of financial advice? We're obviously really excited about what, what technology can can do in advice and for advisors. Our Our vision is that Advice practices, small and large, can can operate with with successful businesses that contribute to the bottom line and, and really happy customers, and and those customers need to be able to see not not what their portfolio is worth, but how they're tracking on their plan. And unfortunately for all of us that are that are immersed in in the advice industry, not everyone's sitting around looking at their phone to work out whether whether they're on track to retirement that might be happening in in 20 years time uh, but, but the, the surety of knowing that that's there and someone is monitoring it using technology to do that efficiently is is a is a good good thing to have and uh we're we're just really delighted to be be actually part of helping helping businesses do that awesome well again thank you so much for coming on pleasure thanks Katie.